Welcome to Ring of Fire. I'm Farron Cousins. Coming up on today's show, we have another, in fact, the last of the year Q&A from our viewers on YouTube. And if you want to get involved in future Q&As, because I do love doing these, make sure you go subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash The Ring of Fire. Keep an eye on that community tab. That is where I make the post asking for questions. And by the way, we've got 137 questions. Uh, We're going to try to get through as many as possible today. But also, if you want the full show every week, please go sign up and become a member at rofpodcast.com. Your support, your continued support is what helps keep us going. So without further ado, as I said, we've got 137 questions uh, sitting here waiting to be answered. Obviously not going to get through all of them, but I do want to get through as many as possible. I've read through uh, uh, nearly all of these already. Some really great content here. So let's jump right in. Our first question comes from the great Gambino who asks, what do you think many of the more extreme right-wing need to hear or see to help them come to terms with what's wrong with their direction and possibly turn away from these extreme ideas and rhetoric? Now, that's a very interesting question because I, I don't know that there is a limit. You know, is there a line in the sand that many of these extreme MAGA people need to see before they realize that they're on the wrong side of history. Now you would think January 6th would have been the thing, but it wasn't, especially not when you have lawmakers like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Jim Jordan and Louis Gohmert and Matt Gates, who, who have downplayed the significance of that day, who continue to go out there and tell us that these people in prison are somehow political prisoners. They're being persecuted for their political beliefs, which as we all know, is not at all what's happening with these people. They broke the law very blatantly, very obviously all of it on film and they deserve the punishments that they have coming to them. But the downplaying of it by these major national figure lawmakers lets these MAGA people, the extreme right know that, Hey, we've got lawmakers on our side. And as long as they have that, they're not going to see the problem with their behavior. The same goes for Donald Trump and his dining with the white nationalists, the anti-Semites, you know, uh, Nick Fuentes, Kanye West, obviously. Um, When Trump does this, it's a signal to the people who hold those same beliefs that this is okay, that you quite literally have a seat at my table that I will listen to you and I will respect your opinions and I will, I'll be that sounding board that you want. As long as we have lawmakers who continue to embrace these individuals, like again, Marjorie Taylor Greene, because she's a great example, speaking at that event, introducing Nick Fuentes, shaking his hand up there on stage, that normalizes this kind of extreme behavior in the extreme rhetoric. So is there a line in the sand for these people? I I don't think there is. 
I don't think there will be one single event, one single revelation that makes a lot of them wake up and say, you know what? I'm totally wrong about this. I, I reject, I renounce my MAGA ways. What has to be done is getting rid of the cheerleaders. And that is the lawmakers who approve of this. The lawmakers who accept and embrace it and defend it on our national airwaves and, of course, in Congress. When we get rid of those people, when we can vote them out of office, which for many of them, unfortunately, it doesn't seem like a real possibility. They're either in deep red districts, they're in heavily gerrymandered districts. So it's going to take a lot of time. And until then, we continue to point out the hypocrisy. We continue to point out the stupidity of these individuals, of their actions. And we hope that every now and then one person, two people here and there, whatever you can get, we hope it kind of deprograms them and convinces them that everything they have been doing for the last six or seven years is completely wrong. May not be able to convert them over to the, to the left, but if we can just make them no longer extremists, then we got to count that as a victory. A question from Philip in Leachy, who asks, um, I've learned so much by following you on both channels. Well, thank you. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Never stop speaking truth to power. Our country depends on people like you. Well, thank you very much. I, I certainly do appreciate that. And by the way, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah uh, to everybody out there. Um, I, I really hope everybody takes some time this holiday season. Hopefully you get some time off work, spend time with your family if you choose to. Uh, don't feel guilted, by the way. I actually saw a great quote the other day. Um, don't feel obligated to carry on traditions that put you under stress. I, I, I just thought that was such a great thing to say, especially at this time of year. Everybody's got their traditions. And I, I look at my own family. I got some traditions I absolutely loathe. And so this year I've been like, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to participate. I love you all. I definitely, we're going to see you. We're going to do our presence. We're going to do all that. But this particular thing, this event, this thing we do, I'm not interested. I'm just not going to do it. So don't feel bad taking time for yourself over this holiday week. I want everybody to remember that as we go forward into the holidays. Question from, uh, oh boy, S-M-B-Z-T-M-N-T-F-A-N <laughs> says, my question is if indictments were to come to Trump in January, what would happen to his chances of becoming president again in 2024? Well, I think already before <laughs> we get to the indictment parts, I think Donald Trump's chances of winning in 2024, uh, even in the Republican primary, uh, those are slipping by the day. The poll numbers that Donald Trump is currently experiencing are the worst poll numbers he has seen ever since entering politics. He has never been more unpopular in the United States than he is right this second. And those polls continue to get worse. And that's the big problem he has. Again, even without the indictments, his polls are getting worse. His statements are getting worse. They're driving more people away. You know, his big announcement <laughs> that he was going to make. Everybody's like, oh, is he going to announce his running mate? Is he going to be running for Speaker of the House? Turns out, oh, no, I'm just conning my audience out of $99 for these digital NFT trading cards we've created. 
He's a grifter. And more and more people are starting to see that grift. So again, even without indictments, I, I feel like his campaign, I'm not going to say it's dead, but I'm definitely going to say it's on life support right now. So with as bad as things are right now for him, imagine how much worse it gets should the indictments come down the pipeline, whether it's indictments from the uh, uh, special prosecutor, which by the way, we definitely will not get those in January. Um, they actually just extended the DOJ's grand jury, one of them, uh, through March. They wouldn't have asked for an extension if they didn't need the extension. So January, uh, I'd put that out of your thoughts right now. The other grand jury that the DOJ has is impaneled through 2023 all the way through it. <laughs> so, yeah, um, January's a little too optimistic on when we might see any indictments coming down, but okay, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll play along. Assume we get indictments at some point next year, prior to the first Republican debates. If Trump's poll numbers even just stay steady, not continue to drop, but definitely don't improve. Indictments are basically going to seal the deal that he has no chance of winning. Now that doesn't mean he may not win a Republican primary, especially in an overly crowded field. The more people that do jump into the ring for 2024 on the Republican side, the better Trump's chances become because the other folks dilute the vote to the point where Donald Trump could sneak in, start winning primaries and caucuses, emerge as the front runner. Then you get the bandwagon effect, which is why our primary system is so stupid. And he ends up winning. Definitely doesn't win in 2024 though. Like I am, I am overly confident that Donald Trump cannot win in 2024 especially if he gets those indictments that is going to turn off the moderates, turn off the independents and all he'll have left is his ever shrinking base. And that is absolutely not even close to what he would need to have any kind of showing in a presidential race. We have a question here from Joe Robinson. Joe asks what would happen if five Republicans were to switch to independent and vote with the Democrats. Would the House remain under the control of the Democrats? Love your show. Have a great new year. Thank you. Same to you, Joe. Um, if you get Republicans switching from Republican to independent, it really would depend on who they decide to, much like the Senate, caucus with. So technically, if you had those five flip and you had a divided house, those independents would have to make the decision, you know, am I leaning with the Republicans or am I, or am I leaning with the Democrats? Now, if they were to switch from Republican to Democrats, then hell yeah, Democrats get the majority. They get the speaker. They get all that. If they're just independents, then no, the Republicans are still pretty much gonna, gonna retain their control. Uh, I, I will say that is an interesting question because it is a situation that we've never had. Um, so it's not something we've ever really had to deal with, which is very interesting. And I love those kinds of questions that really make you think about like what would happen if this were to happen. Now, the chances of this happening, um, I'm going to place those squarely somewhere between zero and 1%. Uh, so I don't think it's anything that we're actually going to have to worry about, but it is a very interesting proposition especially considering the ongoing infighting with the Republican caucus right now. You know, you've got the, the MAGA freaks, they're fighting against what 
I guess you would consider the normal Republicans who are just terrible on policy, but uh, don't share the crazy extremist worship of Donald Trump that the other ones do. There's big fights happening right now. There's fights happening at the RNC, right? Ronna McDaniel versus Mike Lindell, of all people. Um, You've got House Republicans, Kevin McCarthy, fighting with uh, Senate Republican Mitch McConnell. So there is no cohesion at all at the moment with the Republican Party. So could we see some defectors who look at this and say, you know what? This is insane. I can't do this anymore. That's quite possible. But if, if we were to hit that point, you'd probably have a bunch of people like Adam Kinzinger, who, of course, is leaving Congress at the end of this term. But Kinzinger, you know, switched to independent, was no longer a Republican, but he still voted with the Republicans. So you can denounce it all you want. You can say, I'm fed up with this. Y'all are crazy. I'm leaving. But then you, you, you vote with them like 100% of the time. So no, you didn't actually leave. You just switch the little bitty letter next to your name when it's listed, you know, in media appearances or in articles. So it's performative. And we could see some performances like that, right? I mean, I do think there are Republicans who are kind of on the fence. Maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. But I don't think you're going to get enough to actually switch control of the House of Representatives. Certainly not in the early days. We'll see how things go for them. You could end up with defectors. Six months down the road, maybe 12 months down the road. Uh, I'm not going to rule that out as a possibility. But, you know, as far as the early days go, the first six months, as much disarray as there is right now, we're probably going to see more cohesion with the Republicans. They're going to get their act together. It may fall apart. And if it does fall apart, that's when you could see those defections. Very good question. Thank you very much for that. Um, Here's one from Tanya Hamill, who asks, Do you believe that war or the organized destruction of infrastructure and institutions is likely to be initiated by right-wing extremists? Could you address the fact that if so, the extremists have infiltrated the military, police departments, national and coast guard have trained militia groups worldwide, uh, own the majority of the guns. What do you think would be the outcome? Do you believe that Americans who are against extremism are willing to sacrifice their comforts for a political cause? It's one thing to hashtag, Another to quite possibly die. Thanks for your insight. Um, that is, uh, it's a little depressing to think about, to be honest. But it is something I do think we have to think about. What we're witnessing right now uh, across the country, and this is something that is definitely not getting enough play, we're seeing extremists attacking power grids. Okay, this isn't something happening in a far off third world country that you couldn't even locate on a map. It's happening right here in the United States right now. That's a terrifying thought, you know, attacking these power stations. And of course, we're we're seeing it emerge as, oh, it's right-wing extremists again, because it always is right-wing extremists doing these kinds of things. But I also think deep down, these people are cowards, not just the ones attacking the power stations, but when you look at these Republicans, the ones who are heavily armed, the ones who talk a big game on social media. Deep down, they're cowards. That's what they are. You know, the ones who who travel across state lines, heavily armed, fighting off people who are unarmed. That's, That's what a coward does. So 
Those folks I'm not too much worried about. To your other point, though, this is what does concern me. We have seen report after report actually going all the way back through the Bush administration of these violent right-wing extremists rising through the ranks of the military, rising through the ranks in the police force, usually after leaving the military. We, we just got reports about uh, the Boogaloo Boys, you know, in these federal law enforcement agencies, overwhelming numbers of them. That is a problem. Those people who have been trained by the United States military, those people who are getting weapons issued to them by the United States military, those people do keep me up at night. The thought of what these folks could do if they so chose and based on their extremist views, we can't rule that out. So that is something, again, that does keep me up at night. That is something that is very terrifying to think about, but it's something we do have to think about. And as I mentioned, this is a problem that actually goes back to the Bush administration. So here's what happened during the Bush administration that kind of led us to where we are today. During that time, and we, we covered this on the early days of Ring of Fire here, um, the Bush administration was having a very serious problem with military recruitment. Nobody wanted to go off and die in his unwinnable war based on lies. So what they did was they lowered the criteria and cut back on the screening of people applying to be in the military, which led to an influx of white supremacists, of anti-government extremists. All these people who previously would be rejected for military service started getting in. And once you get that military experience, assuming you're not dishonorably discharged, that leads to all of these other roles in the United States government, right? Like you, you can go work at the Homeland Security offices a lot easier if you've got a distinguished military background than if you're a civilian off the street. You can become a police officer a hell of a lot quicker if you've served in the military than if you're just somebody fresh out of high school or college, Military service is looked upon very, very favorably here in the United States, especially with positions inside the government, whether it's local, state, or federal. So all those people during the Bush years, those extremists who got in, got those credentials, took it, ran with it. I don't think, by the way, that we ever re-strengthened those restrictions on military recruitment. So as far as I know, it's still a thing. And reports suggest that it is still a thing. Very terrifying, very real possibility of, uh, of you know, issues coming from that. Layla22 asks, can Twitter possibly be shut down? It is nothing but a hotbed for right-wing bigotry and violence. Elon encourages it. Also, I once read that he was helping the Chinese gather users' info anyway to find out what he's really up to. Um, that I don't know about, so I'm not going to speak on that. I, that to me sounds kind of like speculation. Um, so I, I don't even want to dive into that part, but can it be shut down? Hell yeah, it can be shut down. You know, the great example I use and everybody else uses too is MySpace. MySpace emerged as the most popular social media outlet when social media became a thing. Everybody was on MySpace. We had a ring of fire MySpace. We had a go left TV MySpace. That's how long ago it was. And eventually, everybody just kind of stopped using MySpace and 
slowly we deleted our pages. I deleted my personal page. I was on MySpace all day, every day. And then we just suddenly stopped. It was almost like a bad habit that Americans had developed. Mostly, obviously, I was in my early 20s. Uh, so younger people, we, 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 did, we got addicted to it. I'll admit, we got addicted to it. Same way a lot of us right now are addicted to Twitter. But eventually, it became uncool. Other things emerged. We tried those out. We started liking those better. We ditched MySpace. MySpace died. It still exists, but come on, it's dead. The same thing could happen to Twitter. And honestly, um, it, what Elon has done, aside from the BS Twitter files nonsense, um, he has created a platform that is all about him now. Every time I get on Twitter, what do I see? I'm not seeing all the fun people I follow saying funny things. I'm not seeing the news organizations I follow tweeting out stories anymore. I'm seeing a select group of people every single time, typically the same group of people. And what are they doing? They're tweeting about Elon Musk. Oh, he did this horrible thing. Twitter's doing this horrible thing. All of Twitter is now all about Twitter. It is boring and stupid. And, and for me, I mean, I use it for business. I use it to look for stories. I use it to communicate. I use it to book guests for this podcast. And it is becoming unusable for me. So what's happening? I'm using it less. It used to be I was on Twitter probably once every half hour at least for a couple minutes. I'm down to about every hour and a half, maybe. Maybe. I stop looking at it at like four or five in the afternoon. Don't even get back on it. Three, four months ago, that would have been unheard of. But as the site continues to become just stupid, just nothing but Twitter, Twitter, Twitter on Twitter, people are doing that. I've seen the same complaints from many other people. And could it be shut down? Yeah, not by the government. But it could be shut down because good people are leaving, but it is becoming unusable. Um, so here's a question. <laughs> a question from a user called Confederate Nation, who for the record has a Confederate flag as their little avatar. Confederate Nation says, Farron is a treasonous Democrat. No point in asking him a question. He's worse than Pac-Man. A treasonous Democrat, worse than Pac-Man. Oh, man. <laughs> Listen, um, thank you for the comment there, not a question. Um, also, David Pac-Man is a very good friend. Uh, I've spent a lot of time with him. And, and I, 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 if I'm worse than Pac-Man, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I love David. He's a great guy. Um, but... <laughs> No treasonous Democrat. I would love for Mr. Confederate Nation to explain why I am the treasonous one. Really? You're, you're sporting that Confederate flag that was only in use for like under a year? And you have the audacity, Confederate Nation, to call me the treasonous one? Um, I, I don't know if this is satire. I, I don't know if this is a real human being behind this who's like, oh boy, I got him. Yeah. Um, but you're an idiot. 
I, I love I love how easily these morons like Confederate Nation throw around the treasonous claim. What have I ever done to suggest treason, huh? I don't know if you know this, but I wasn't involved in January 6th. I'm not even a member of the party that was involved with January 6th. See, that that's treason. Attacking the federal government in order to overthrow the democratically elected government of this nation. Hey, that's treason, pal. Siding with the losers of the Civil War. Uh, one could argue that that's a bit of treason, right, Confederate nation? Oh, the South will rise again. I'm sure you've probably said that at some point in your life, right? Um, Again, I love getting questions from just some of the stupidest people that the right has to offer. And that is what uh, Mr. or Mrs. Confederate Nation here truly is. A moron. You have nothing of substance to say. If you've got a problem with anything I've ever said, feel free to refute it. Hey, I'm not perfect. Sometimes I get things wrong. Shoot us an email, send us a comment saying, hey, you're stupid because you said this, but actually that's not true. I'd love to see it. But you don't have that. Instead, you want to come out and just do this name calling, you're a treasonous Democrat. You don't even know what that word means, do you? You probably don't know what any of those words mean. He's worse than Pacman. David Pacman is one of the smartest people out there doing this. Like, how is David Pakman treasonous? I, I, I don't understand any of this, but the point is not to understand it with these folks. They just want to get on there anonymously, too afraid to show their face, make their little comment, and run away thinking, who boy, I got him. He's never going to take the time to respond to this. Well, guess what? I did. So maybe next time, man up, use your real face and name, then we can have a real conversation. Next question is from ECBH, who asks, I want to know why there has been no explanation for Chuck Grassley stating Pence would not be available at the counting of the votes on January 6th, but rather Chuck Grassley would be doing it for Pence. It seems to me that should be a serious problem, and I've never heard one word about it since. I will be perfectly honest. I had not heard that. I had not heard that Chuck Grassley would do that. So... I'm going to do something right now, and I'm going to look it up. And we're going to see what this says. Democrats are counterfeit. Chuck Grassley, Chuck Grassley has said about certification vote. The capital rise is an issue of race against my pen. Um, okay. Here it is. He did say that. He said that. This is from Roll Call. What day is this? January 5th. Interesting. So this did happen. Not only did it happen, it happened before the Capitol riot. And based on what I just read here, super quick, cursory understanding of this was that there was a possibility that maybe Vice President Mike Pence wasn't going to do it, you know, because I guess of the contention around the presidential results. The contention, of course, coming from Pence's running mate, Donald Trump. So Chuck Grassley, the president pro tempore of the Senate at the time, um, his office said, if he's not there, I will do it. But that's not the plan. Again, based on what I just saw, the statement from Grassley's office, as far as we know, they say Mike Pence is going to be there. So it wasn't 
again, as far as I can tell, again, very cursory search of this. As far as I can tell, it wasn't Grassley trying to wrestle control from Mike Pence. It was more of Grassley being like, listen, in the event he doesn't show up as president pro tempore, it is my job to fill in for him to do that. So it wasn't a power grab. I don't think there was anything really malicious with it. It was just, hey, this is how it goes. These are the rules. If he's not there, I've got to be the one to step up and go do it. And that's what would happen. Um, So that's why I think you haven't heard too much about it since then is because, again, based on what I saw, doesn't seem like it was that big of a deal. I could be wrong. I will look more into that because it does. um, It is a little interesting. I do want to know more. But again, basically, uh, that's what I see here. A question from Jackie who asks, besides Biden, who do you think would be the best Democratic candidate for 2024? And do you think Trump's fascist clone DeSantis seriously seriously stands a chance against the pissed off, fighting mad, democracy loving people like us? Uh, Jackie, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and say here, I'm a little disappointed in you. I'm very disappointed that you would ask me who I would want to see run for president in 2024. Because I know there's people listening, there's people watching this on YouTube who already know the answer. I don't have to say it because those folks already know. Oh, Jackie, I'm just messing with you. But yes, I have said it time and time and time again. I have said it here on Ring of Fire. I've said it on our YouTube channel. I've said it on the Young Turks when I've done interviews with them. I've said it on Twitter. My pick for 2024 And if it's not 2024, then 2028. If it's not 2028, 2032, beyond, Katie frickin' Porter. I love Katie Porter. Katie Porter is a fighter. Katie Porter is smart. Smarter than damn near everybody else in in those chambers. A better fighter than everybody else in those chambers. She is not afraid to take on corporate power, CEOs, corruption. She has done it better than I think I have ever seen. So Katie Porter is my pick. As for a running mate, Jeff Merkley is my pick for that. I think Jeff Merkley is a good progressive. I think Jeff Merkley is is once again smart. I think he takes on corporate power. You pair him with Katie Porter, you've got a little bit uh, uh, more experience on his side. He's been there a lot longer. And so I do think that is a good option. I think the two of them together, again, if it's not 2024, 2028 then. Uh, definitely my two favorite people right now. And I know that probably may come as a shock to a lot of people. A lot of people know I'm a, I'm a big Bernie Sanders supporter. And I still support Bernie Sanders. I think his time has passed. And I think he thinks his time has passed uh, to run for president. He is still doing you know great work. But I just I, I don't see a third presidential run from, from Bernie Sanders. I don't see it happening. I, I think the writing is kind of on the wall with the public. Um, I, I think there's still such a large faction of the Democratic Party that doesn't like him, that blames him for 2016 and always will blame him for 2016. And I think there's far too many people like that to allow him to have a viable presidential run. It's disappointing. I hate that that's what's happening, but that's what I think is happening. So um, even even if he decides to throw his hat into the ring, if Katie Porter also did, I'm going to go with Katie Porter. I'm sorry. I like her. I love her policies. 
And she's not. Here's the thing about Katie Porter, too. And I I feel like it's the Katie Porter show now. But (laughs) Katie Porter is also this was actually pointed out by Joshua Holland on Twitter months ago. She's not so progressive that she turns off the, the corporate Democrats either. Now, they don't like her because she takes on the corporate power, but she's also not, you know, hasn't been branded with the socialist label, which terrifies the corporate Democrats when it comes to elections. She can appeal to the far left and the center left. Broad appeal is something the Democratic Party has not had in a candidate, a nominee in a long time. So that's another uh, feather in the cap for Katie Porter, I believe. Um, here's an interesting question from, uh, Fred with a PHM. What do you do to decompress when it's been a particularly wicked, crazy week or year of recording? Now, this is one of the questions I had, uh, taken a little time on before, uh, recording here today. It's been a hectic year of recording. Sure. As of me sitting right here, right now, I have done an estimated based on my math here. 3,268 individual segments. That's between Ring of Fire, the Ring of Fire podcast, America's Lawyer, other videos I've put out. It doesn't even include all of the other shows that I have appeared on just this year, just 2022. 3,268 segments at least, and we're not even done with the year. That's a lot. And yeah, I'll tell you what, I am tired. I am exhausted. And I'm going to keep doing it until my body just tells me, no, you can't do it. So what do I do to decompress? It took me years to figure this out. Because for many years um, here at Ring of Fire, I wasn't able to actually take vacations. You know, uh, a couple days off here and there, never really a, a long, long enough stretch to actually decompress and, and pull myself out of it. So what I do now and I try to make this more of a habit and it's becoming more frequent is I travel like me, my wife, the kids, we just get the hell out of here. <laughs> um, we, we go to Orlando a lot. We do the theme parks and somebody asked me like, well, why, why do you do this? Why, why do you go there so much? And it's a very simple question. If you've ever been to, you know, a universal studios or Disney world, and we go to those all the time, once you're in there, in those parks, you're immersed in those parks. You know what I don't do when I'm walking around those parks? I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not getting on social media. I'm not scrolling through the news. I am 100% purely unplugged. And that is a feeling that I can't even begin to tell you how amazing it is, you know, for somebody that has to be plugged in all the time to get that kind of, of relief and decompression and just totally blocking out the outside world. It's amazing. And I love it. Another thing we've started doing is uh, we started renting cabins in the mountains. Uh, We've been doing that once a year. Got another one of those coming up, by the way, at the end of January. It's amazing. And just being out there in nature, in the mountains, in a cabin. Still have Wi-Fi, but it's the same thing. Like you're just unplugged. You can't help but relax. And it's amazing. And I I recommend that for anybody if you can do it. If you can't, you know, do a staycation, turn off everything, unplug your router, right? Don't even have internet for a while. 
and, and the, the effects that that has on your mental health uh, truly is amazing. It took me far too long to learn that. So I'm making up for lost time with the, you know, the vacations and things like that, um, that I do now. So thank you for that question. Here's a question from user. I am a free spirit who asks, why is no one talking about Trump holding maskless rallies, even though Trump knew as early as January, February, 2020, that COVID-19 was deadly. Why was Trump allowed to hold these rallies for an entire year during COVID-19? Why isn't Trump and the entire GOP in prison for mass murder of over 800,000 people? Well, the reason they're not in jail for murder, of course, is because, you know, the liability issues there, the willful neglect, it's not on them necessarily because we did have other medical professionals out there telling us to mask up. um, So it's not necessarily their fault, right? They, they could not be liable in a legal sense for those deaths in a political sense. They're 100% responsible for those deaths. This country would have been a different place if Donald Trump had come out in the early days of the pandemic and just said, Hey, listen, folks, put the mask on your face. Don't be a baby about it. It's nothing. Just go out there, put it on and get on with your lives. It's fine. If he had done that, those 800,000 people that died under his watch, and we're now way over a million, by the way, um, they may not be dead. We could have saved, and this is, you know, the estimates, had Trump taken the pandemic seriously, hundreds of thousands, I think it's about 400, almost 500,000 lives could have been saved. So we would have almost half a million people still in this country today instead of six feet underground. Had Trump done his job, taken this seriously and convinced the public to also take it seriously. His failure to do so did put people in the grave. His decision to hold those rallies, right? The maskless rallies. And and he did cut back on them. Let's be honest. He cut back on them. He did not hold as many as he wanted to. But as the election got closer, he saw his numbers weren't that great. He started holding more and more and more. And yes, Information did come out. They ended up being super spreader events. So there's no telling how many of his own supporters he sent to an early grave just because he wanted to win a presidential election that he still didn't end up winning. Those people died for nothing. But that is on him politically, legally, unfortunately, not so much. I wish there was something could be done to hold him, to hold Ron DeSantis, to hold any of these Republican leaders accountable for the lies that they told, for the myths that they spread. But unfortunately, the way the uh, uh, you know law works here in the United States, unfortunately, there's just nothing we could do here. Uh, interesting question here from Diego Martinez. Diego asks, I have wondered if America had a paramilitary system with no electoral college, filibuster, gerrymandering, and it can have 9,000 members uh, of the House of Representatives and maybe term limits and new laws, including like a prime minister or chancellor to veto the president's orders or Congress legislation if it's unethical and maybe have a national assembly made up of mayors. Um, interesting thought. In order to do that, which for the record, I'm not even against. I actually, I think it's a good idea. But in order to do that, you're going to have to tear down the entire constitution. 
Um, that thought alone terrifies far too many people in this country for us to actually be able to do something like this. And, but these are all reforms that need to happen. I mean, think about it, okay? We set up our system of government, our, our House of Representatives, our Senate, our presidential system, our judicial system. All of that was set up when we had 13 colonies. Okay, we were basically along the East Coast, and that's about it. And we said, you know what? For this tiny little group we've got, this will be a great system. And then we kept expanding. Right? We admitted new states and said, all right, well, yeah, come on in. Uh, we're going to figure out how to how to fit you into this system. And so we've added more to our country after we set up our system of government than we had before it. And rather than amending the actual system of government, which of course has remained unchanged, we just tried to shoehorn all of these other states into the same system. You know, 37 states were like, ah, we'll, we'll squeeze you in somewhere rather than saying, okay, you know what? We're getting a little big. Um, you're going to have to do something. Let's rewrite some laws here. Let's amend the constitution to make more room for these folks to better evenly distribute the power. We got big states. We got small states. We've got crowded states. We've got all of this. We've got to make it more fair. We didn't do that because throughout our history, basically people have been far too terrified to talk about the fact that our constitution just doesn't work anymore. It truly doesn't work anymore. And the reason for that is, well, you're disrespecting the founding fathers. I'm sorry. All those white slave owners who died 300 almost years ago. I'm sorry if I've offended them. The people who would have shat their pants at the sight of an automobile. Oh no, I have to worry about what they would think of a cell phone. No, we do need a new system. We need a new constitution. It shouldn't be a scary thing. It should be something that we all embrace, but it's not because again, a bunch of white slave owners from 250 years ago said, this is how it's going to be. And by God, we're never going to change it. Um, here's a question <laughs> from, uh, um, sorry, here's, here it is. Deborah A. asks, how can GOP fascists be defeated when progressives like you trash Democrats? Thank you very much, Deborah A. Interesting question, right? It's me. Not to quote the Taylor Swift song, but I guess it's me. Hi, I'm the problem, right? No, um, here's the thing. And you may not like this answer. But when a Democrat does something bad, I'm going to call it out. When a Democrat says something stupid, I'm going to call it out. If I need to call them stupid, I'll call them stupid. When they're corrupt, I'm going to call them corrupt. I am a registered Democrat, have been since I turned 18 years old, more than 20 years ago. And I continue to be a registered Democrat. I vote in every Democratic primary here in the state of Florida. And I will continue to do so. I have no intention of switching my party affiliation because out of the major parties out there, I identify most with the Democrats. That is who I am. But I'm also not so tribal 
that I feel the need to just bury any bad thing Democrats do and say, oh, no, 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 we can't talk about that. Can't tell people the truth. That, that's idiotic. If you ever find somebody not willing to criticize when their own people do wrong, then you have found yourself a cult member. That's what you're looking at. I am not about to turn this into blue MAGA hour here at Ring of Fire. Hell no. Never have, never will. And it's also funny, like, you attack Democrats. If you go through the content on the Ring of Fire YouTube channel, 99% of it is me calling out Republicans and talking about how stupid they are, how bad their policies they are, how bad corporations are. Every now and then, yeah, I got to call out the Democrats because they've done something stupid. And you're going to sit there and say, I'm the problem. We can't defeat the Republican fascists because you only shit talk them 99% of the time, Farron. I'm sorry that's not good enough for you. And in case you haven't wondered, folks, yeah, questions like this do piss me off, not because it undermines my work, I don't feel like it does, but because this is tribalism and that's not cool. If you're unwilling to criticize when your people screw up, then you may as well be the same as those MAGA hat wearing freaks out there because they'll never criticize Trump. They believe everything he does is right and everything the other side does is wrong. You can be like that if you want, but I never will be. And I will never respect people who are. So I'm sorry, Deborah, if that is how you feel but I'm going to continue speaking truth to power regardless of what political party that power comes from. A question from Betty Hurt asks, will Senator Ron Johnson ever face an investigation in his part of the fake electoral scheme? Will president uh, Biden uh, raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour for everyone? Um, Okay. So two questions there. First part, will Biden raise the minimum wage? Uh, probably not without an act of Congress. And uh, Kirsten Cinemas made it pretty damn clear that that ain't going to happen. Now, the first one, will Ron Johnson ever be held accountable? And I think that's a brilliant question. I myself would like the answer to that. As we all know, Ron Johnson was deep in the heart of this fake elector scheme. He had his people deliver the slate of fake electors to Mike Pence, or at least attempt to give it to Mike Pence. You you can't get more involved than that. <laughs> like this guy had it, gave it to his aide. His aide took it to Pence's people. Um, yeah, kind of seems like that's fraud against the government there, Mr. Johnson, which is, of course, one thing that the uh, Department of Justice is looking into, uh, the specific crime, not necessarily the specific people. But as far as we know, All of these Republicans that were involved in the scheme, the ones that are sitting in Congress, it doesn't look like any of these investigations are actually going into them. And I think deep down the DOJ is is frightened to actually take on a sitting lawmaker. Oh no, that's going to look terrible. Oh, they're going to say we're politicizing this. We're weaponizing it for political gain. But who cares what they say? And those really are the real fears the DOJ has, which is why they appointed the special prosecutor. I have no problem with it, but, you know, they didn't need to do it. But they're so terrified of the perception 
that they're going to have that they won't go after these people who for all intents and purposes are, are right at the heart of these scandals. Ron Johnson has changed his story about what happened that day three separate times. I was only involved for a matter of seconds. I was involved for like an hour or two. I never looked at the thing. I mean, I knew what it was, or we just kind of handed it off anyway because it was handed to us. So many times he has changed his story. You don't do that if you're confident that you did nothing wrong. You do that to try to save your own skin because you know you've probably committed a fraud against the federal government there. So is he ever going to face an investigation? I would hope so. But do I think he will face an investigation? Honestly, no. And I am, I am so beyond disappointed with the people of Wisconsin. I got a lot of uh, family on my wife's side up there. Good, good people. They're all, by the way, on the left. But <laughs> they didn't vote for Ron Johnson. But a majority of people in the state did. So we get six more years of this corrupt bastard serving in the United States Senate. And he will probably never be held to account for what he did. Question from just user uh, Wayne, who says, why is it that Trump was caught multiple times hiding docs and he's still walking the streets? If I was found to just have one, I would have been jailed immediately. Yes, you would have. And Wayne, I hope you do not have any uh, classified documents because we are sending the FBI to your house right now. Just to make sure. No, I'm kidding with you, Wayne. Um, you're, you're right. It, it does seem crazy, doesn't it? We are living in a time when the former president of the United States, who was impeached twice, always remember that, busted, hiding these highly classified documents, lying, having his legal team lie to the federal government about even having the documents. And then once we think everything's cool, okay, we've got all the documents back at least. We learned that, oh, nope, he actually had a couple more in a storeroom down there in South Florida. Okay, well, where else are you hiding them? I refuse to believe, just me personally, that that's all the documents. There's got to be more somewhere. If he's hiding them in two different locations, the likelihood that there's more out there in other places is exceptionally high. But we shouldn't even be having that conversation. He should have already been indicted. I mean, this case is so crystal freaking clear I, I don't even know how to finish that because it's so crystal clear, right? <laughs> I mean, we're looking at a guy. You're legally, the law is very clear. You legally can't have these at all. And the, the government had been working for almost a year with him to get them back. So they knew he had them. He knew they knew he had them. His lawyers knew that he knew that they knew that they had them. And none of, like, just nothing. They just didn't give them back. Until finally, they had to go send the FBI down there. So even though the government knew he was breaking the law, they, they didn't want to have to arrest him for it. They knew it was illegal, but they didn't want to do it. And so now that they finally had to do it, the question is, why not just arrest him on the spot as well? Like, that makes no sense to me. His possession of the documents, classified or not, is a violation of the Presidential Records Act, which is a felony he should have been arrested on site. It's like if, 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 if the police were to come into your house and find 80 kilos of cocaine, they're not just going to take the cocaine and wish you a good day and say, we're going to investigate this. No, you're arrested for possession. 
So it probably with intent to distribute if you've got that much. <laughs> um, so why was he not arrested for possession on the spot? That makes no sense. And uh, I honestly think that is <laughs> that, that is basically our justice system in a, in a nutshell. It makes no sense. But nothing these days seems to make any sense. <laughs> W.G. Shepard asks, why are lawyers holding public office allowed to break the law and violate their oaths of office? Why is any office holder allowed to clearly violate their oaths of office and still keep their jobs? Do oaths of office even matter anymore or are they just ceremonial words? They're just ceremonial words. Um, I, and, and I think that's a very sad state of affairs. But that's that's what it is. We have, and it's not just the lawyers who hold public office, as I'm sure um, you know, the user knows here. So many politicians, they violate their own reporting laws. Oops, I forgot to disclose all my financial transactions. Oops, I was hiding the fact that I sold this stock that we were currently discussing. And all, like they just do it all the time. Both parties do it all the time. Democrats and Republicans. It's a bipartisan fun fest up there. But again, they're doing it constantly and nobody gets in trouble. Like when they fail to report or they get busted, like not disclosing all of their financial transactions. Do you know what happens to them? If they get punished at all, they get a $200 fine. That's it. If the punishment for a crime is a fine, then that crime only exists. That law only exists for the lower class. Another brilliant uh, uh, quote I've heard in the past. If the punishment for a crime is a fine, then the law only exists for the lower class. That is what we're looking at with these people who violate their oaths of office. They can do whatever they want because they know the only people to hold them accountable are the people up there with them. See, that's the real problem. What we need is an independent government body that investigates these things and can come up with formal charges. But as it stands right now, like suppose a member of the house or Senate violates the rules. So they have their own little ethics panel and the ethics panel gets together, you know, their colleagues and they decide whether or not this person did something wrong. And if they did something wrong, okay, then we'll fine them. And that's it. And they move on. But usually it doesn't even get that far. And the reason for that, of course, is because most of them are doing the same damn things. So, of course, we're not going to hold Congressman X accountable because he could just turn around and say, well, well, Congressman Y over here did the same thing. Why are we not doing it to him? Oh, and then this person did it too. Let's. They're not going to do that. They're not going to open the can of worms because they're all worms themselves. That's why that happens. And unfortunately... It's the culture in D.C. It's the culture in Congress, in the House, in the Senate. That's what it is because we let them investigate themselves. And they're damn sure never going to hold one another accountable because next time the accountability could be coming for them. So as I said, an independent government body needs to be the ones looking at this. Listen, look, that is all the time we have for this week's uh, free portion of the Ring of Fire podcast there will be no new show next week. It is the week of Christmas. Uh, we got Hanukkah starting as well. We're going to take some time off. You folks take some time off. But if you want the full show every week, go sign up and become a member at rofpodcast.com.